Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House That Hinky Built podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Frank, and per usual, I'm hosting this on Spotify Greenroom uh, as we continue to draw closer to the 2020 NBA, 2021 NBA draft. Uh, the We're going to continue to break down some prospects that might be available and good fits for the Sixers at the 28th and 50th overall pick. Uh, today, to discuss uh, four more players, uh, after we broke down Joel Yai, Jared Butler, uh, Austin Reeves and Joe Wieskamp uh, earlier this week. Uh, today we will have on Jillian Adge, who covers the Sacramento Kings for a couple of places and does a lot of great NBA draft work. So uh, today we will be discussing uh, Cameron Thomas from LSU, Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova, Herb Jones of Alabama, and uh, Nemius Keita of Utah State. Um, so we'll break down their games, kind of similar to what we did uh, what I did with Henry Ward on Tuesday, talk about kind of their fits, their, their just the general skill sets, uh, and get into kind of the nitty-gritty of things. But Jillian is here. I'm excited to talk with her and uh, do some draft stuff. Hey, Jillian. How are you today? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm excited to talk about these these four prospects. I think there's a lot of options for the Sixers at both of these picks, but um, I think just kind of off the top for anyone who's who's listening, whether it's you know, live on the stream or listening after the fact of the podcast episode, can you give kind of just a, a general breakdown of of Cameron Thomas and Jeremiah Robinson's skill sets and why you think both might be good targets for the Sixers at at that late late first round pick, twentieth uh, overall? Yeah, no problem. And and it's interesting starting with Cam Thomas is as of a week ago he was kind of in the Sixers range, right? And then we just heard uh, this morning that more players were added to the green room and Cam's name was one of them, um, which shows me that obviously he's showing um, showing up in his workouts and, and is impressing. But so now, I mean, we'll see if he ends up falling back to the end of the first. But just in general, um, I think this is uh, a need of the Sixers in um, someone who excels at something and is at least ready now in certain aspects of his game. He's 6'4", 210. Uh, I believe he just turned 19. He might still be 18. Uh, but if you keep Simmons, you need shooting around you, right? And if mm-hmm. Simmons Simmons is gone, if Ben is gone, uh, depending on what's coming back, you're still, to me, worst case scenario, he can be that spark plug coming off the bench, Mm-hmm. He uh, he's good in transition, excels at drawing fouls. He had over 220 free throw attempts uh, <laughs> last year as, you know, as a freshman led the conference. Uh, he's really good with pump fakes and using his body to finish. He's got a really good first step. And so he's able to get the defense off balance and then really excels at the step back, which he usually likes to go more left. Um, but then more often than not uh, nails the pull up jumper off that step back. Uh, again, at 18, he was a fourth-leading scorer uh, in the NCAA. And uh, with the Sixers during the playoffs, there were times, right, where you guys saw droughts uh, mm-hmm. of scoring and having someone who you can throw off the bench to just come in and get a bucket uh, would be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, and we'll go into this, but really it's his biggest weakness is his defense which isn't that surprising for an 18-year-old. And his role at LSU was to be the, you know, the score first guard. So I think going to a situation like Philadelphia would benefit him just in that sense where you're going to an established team with good veterans, um, an established defense, and 
you know, he's not, he's not going to right like the team that I cover the Kings where you're going to a league worst defense. <laughs> yeah. And I think just uh, helps. Wikipedia does have helps that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. For some reason you, you cut up briefly. So I thought you would, you would finish your, your part. So I apologize for cutting you off there, but um, it does say he's, he's listed at night. His birthday's uh, October 13, 2001. So it does say he's he was okay. 19 for the entire college. Oh, okay. But anyhow, um, but I think a lot of the skills you mentioned there are, are th- like, obviously it's of course broadly just a guy who could, you know, give you a scoring boost. Like, as you mentioned, there were such long droughts in the second half of the Hawks series where they just couldn't buy a bucket. Um, but some of the specific skills you mentioned about why he's a good score, I think would, would, would really help them. You know, the, the first step to be able to get by guys is something that the Sixers don't really have a lot of on the perimeter. I mean, their best, their best kind of offensive player who draws a lot of attention is Joel Embiid and he's not. You know, he's not the guy who's, you know, hitting a bunch of pull-up jumpers or attacking off the dribble, uh, drawing fouls, too. You know, uh, Tobias Harris is their kind of their lead perimeter creator. He's not a guy who draws a lot of fouls. So, as you mentioned, you know, Cam Thomas averaged over seven free throws per game. Uh, Last year, he had a free throw rate of uh, just just about 44%, or exactly 44%, excuse me. Um, So, I mean, those are two skills specifically, kind of a good first step, uh, the ability to shoot off the dribble and the ability to draw fouls. I guess those are three skills um, that the Sixers can really use. Uh, as you mentioned, kind of the defense is, is still, or is still, you know, that's his biggest kind of shortcoming currently, but uh, the Sixers are, are a, a good landing spot for a offensive minded player as defensive, you know, uh, weaknesses because they are such a good defense. Like their defense was still great in the playoffs. It was the offense that really cratered them. Uh, you know, was the reason they couldn't get beyond the second round. But um, you do, you mentioned the defense kind of, Broadly, I'm curious what what are the areas you think that he he really has to maybe take some steps forward, or that the Sixers would have to you know kind of work around or cover for if if they were to land him at 20, which as you mentioned might might not be the case. It doesn't always mean you're going to go top 20 in the green room, but it's usually a pretty good indicator that your your stock is fairly high. So it would probably be a little surprising if he was available, you know, eight at or so point. picks. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyhow, what's what does he have to improve? You know, beyond just the defense, like more specifically, what are the areas you think? He could really stand to improve. The Sixers will have to account for when he when he's on the floor for them. Yeah, I, I honestly think a lot of it is just defensive effort on that side. Um, he has to improve his stance. Uh, he falls out of position a lot, but I think with his athleticism, if you can start working on those fundamentals, that to me there's no reason why. Um, and at least if he starts coming off the bench, that he mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to um, to figure that out and at least be a team defensive guy to start off with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing I'm curious about is you, you mentioned, like, obviously Cam Thomas had the ball a lot at the time at LSU, and even when he was playing at Oak Hill and whatnot, um, you know, pre-college, he had the ball in his hands. If he was on the Sixers, he probably wouldn't, you know, be that lead here. He wouldn't be that lead creator. He, he has some time where he gets to play on the ball because he, those are still skills of his. But what do you kind of make of his ability to maybe play as a, as a secondary offensive player, maybe at times in lineups with, with guys like Joel Embiid or Tobias Harris? Um, maybe even Ben Simmons. And again, we have to have to still operate under the assumption currently that Ben Simmons will be a sixer, um, you know, next season, despite some of the reports. But um, what do you kind of make of maybe Cam's ability to be a second or third option offensively rather than than the guy? Like, what are some of his off-ball skills that you think could could help him, and then also maybe some areas he has to improve to maybe really work along you know along Tobias and Joel, who are going to carry a much low in the half court offensively? Yeah, no, I think he is he's skilled at coming um, off the ball cutter and he can Mm -hmm. move pretty quickly off of screens. Um, And his, his three point percentage was, was low last year at, I mean, 32. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but he showed the the free throw percentage to where I think that you can get that three point shot up, and he showed he wasn't afraid to take to take the three point <laughs> shots. Yeah. Um, so, but I do think that he can work um, as an off ball cutter. He can move quickly. He's got really good footwork, and I think that helps him put in um, put himself in really good positions. And so, um, but again, I think his best option is coming off as again at this point in time would be the scoring six man coming off the bench. But I do think that you can can work him in there um, and use him off, you know, screens and things like that, that that it would work. Uh, once yeah. the pick and roll, the, you know, things like that. So he showed that he was he could work the pick and roll on the, you know, popping from from mid range was was no issue. So um, mm-hmm. if if you were to put him with Embiid like that, that uh, that's two guys right there that that can, you know, hurt you either way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think as you mentioned, yeah, ideally he's kind of the guy that's, you know, bringing that scoring power off the bench. But with any Sixers-centric kind of lens, it's all about, like, how, you know, how this right. player could fit with, you know, because it's it'd be great, yeah, if this guy develops into a really, but, like, they're, they have to maximize Julian Beats prime right now, right? and Tobias Harris is prime. You know, it's all, so, it's, I mean, if, if he's going to, if Cam Thomas is going to have significant value as a draft prospect for them, he's going to have to, Phil, he's going to have to play some, like, they're not going to play, like, I guess Dr. Rich does love the bench heavy lineups, but he's still going <laughs> to, he's still going to have some minutes, right, with Joel or Tobias or, or Ben for now. And, um, you, you mentioned though also that he's really good in transition. And obviously that's, that's where Ben Simmons excels, right? That, I mean, he's such a great transition passer. He's a pretty good transition finisher. What is it about Cam that works well in the open floor? And how do you think he could kind of complement Ben to maybe create more easy scoring chance because that's obviously kind of something the Sixers could could benefit from. It's just you know you can't always play in tra- transition, but like the more guys you have that are great and you know highly efficient, highly efficient offense, or highly efficient play type like transition, the better. So what does Cam do well that you think you know individually that also maybe could work well with a guy like Ben Simmons who you know equally loves to push the pace and get out on the open floor? Yeah, um, he's a really good interior finisher. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I mentioned before, he draws a lot of fouls off the pump fakes. Um, but when he sees open space, he attacks, right? Which which is what which is what you would want from a guy, especially um, a young one that already kind of recognizes that recognizes that. But like you mentioned, in transition, when he sees space, he's there. And whether he's finishing, he's getting to the line. Um, he just showed that he he excels in um, open floor. Uh, transition yeah and I think you, you like being able to attack that space is important because even though Ben is pretty is very good in transition in a lot of ways he still does have some you know some some of the contact aversion around the room avoiding and that is, I mean, it's more prevalent in the half court but I think if Ben could maybe more often be a guy who just you know makes the makes the connecting pass to, to Cam to attack you know off a couple of dribbles and, and finish on the break that that's worthwhile and um, one of the things that kind of the, the gist I'm getting, you know, one of the themes from kind of the way you describe him offensively is, is decisiveness. Is, is that a fair kind of th- like that he's very yeah. quick to act on things? Yep. Okay. And that's, that, yes. And that can be good and both bad because right. <laughs> you see that his passing numbers, right. Are down and you have the tunnel vision. Um, but again, I think he's 19. I think that can be corrected. And uh, that was the role that we know he played at LSU. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, when guys are put in other positions, you always end up seeing pieces of the game that you didn't necessarily know that they had. Um, Mm. So again, I think he does have the fundamentals to where, uh, and he shows that he can be a quick decision maker um, that, 
when he knows he can get there, he can get there. Now it's just getting him to realize, okay, I'm at the next level. If I can't get there, this is the next play I'm going to have to do. Yeah, for sure. I think I, I just, as I go through this series of breaking down prospects, I think quick, decisive decision makers is going to be really key for the Sixers because any guy they get at either of these, these picks is not going to be someone who's you know commanding a ton of right. long ball usage. And so like being be able to quickly attack off of, you know, if the ball comes around to you after Joel Embiid is double or Tobias Harris is double or something is, is important. So I think that's always a really important thing that I want to harp on throughout this, this series. And you mentioned the passing a little bit. Obviously, you know, the, you know, the numbers weren't great, and, and, but it also has to come with the caveat that he was he was taking on a very large creation burden at LSU. And, and that, that ties into the three-point numbers as well. Like, I think he'll be, you know, like I've seen a little bit of him. Obviously, you've seen a lot more, but I, I don't. I don't really have worries about him as a spot-up catch-and-shoot guy. Maybe there's like, you know, he has to probably take step for us to be a really big pull-up three guy, and that's a much tougher shot usually for guys to develop. But I don't, I'm not really worried, as you mentioned. Like, you know, free throw isn't always like a, a surefire indicator, but I think given that free throw plus the plus the fact that he was taking a bunch of tough shots, some of which is his own doing, but some of which is it's tied to the role. I'm not worried about him as a spot-up threat. But um, with with the passing, you know, how how do you kind of assess that, you know, between the role, but also maybe just, you know, deficiencies of his? Like, how, how correctable do you think some of this this passing, I guess, aversion or kind of, you know, lack of, you know, willingness consistently to do so? Like, where where do you kind of land on that, you know, between his own shortcomings versus maybe what he was asked to do and how how could a team go about maybe improving his passing if he is going to be kind of a, a six-man spark plug, spark plug? Because if, if that's his role you know, teams know he won't pass or teams know maybe if they find that out, he doesn't keep passing. Like it makes it harder for him to really be a, a good creator off the bench, but I'm kind of miss kind of rambling a little bit, but what do you make of his passing? I guess more or less and how that can, can grow. Yeah, no. And like you mentioned too, it's kind of a small sample size. I mean, as a freshman and, and the position that he seemed uh, or the role, you know, he seemed to have uh, this season, but, for young players, I, I'm not usually too worried about it. And he had a couple games where um, he had four plus – he had multiple games where he had four plus assists. Um, I mean, that might not sound like a lot, but, I mean, it's not like the guy never passed the ball. Um, and I think you have to take into account, too, um, you know, where their pass is made, where, where players missed, right? Missed easy mm-hmm. buckets that could have been could have been assisted like that. Um but that that just does seem to be the theme coming out of um, of you know the draft experts at least of that's that's their one worry is defense and um, his passing abilities. But at at nineteen, I'm not ready to say um, a kid can't improve. You know, right in in that aspect, um, mm-hmm. especially like again when he showed me games where he had multiple games with a four plus assists. And I think with a better team um, and you have good finishers like you do with the Sixers, that if, if he can figure that out, then that's just another plus in his direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think with, with young guys, I tend, when I, how I tend to kind of view these things often, and it, it varies on kind of how, you know, what sort of baseline they've shown of passing, but with, with young talented scorers, I tend to be kind of lenient because I think, as they kind of learn to maneuver all the defensive attention they generate from or garner from their own scoring abilities, they can, 
you know, they, they have all this time to figure it out. Like, Oh, you know, if two guys double me, then maybe that simple pass to the corner for an open three is there. And it's not, it's not some complex pass. You're not asking to become, you know, Luka Doncic or Nikola Jokic or even, you know, I mean, Devin Booker is a great example of this. He doesn't even have to be Devin Booker, right? I mean, and Devin Booker's guy has really grown his passing over the years because he was such a great scorer from day one, basically. And he learned to how he learned how to benefit his entire team from the intention he committed. So I'm, ten, I'm typically pretty lenient on that as well. I, I kind of I side with you on that, especially because Cam does have a very, you know, has a, a wide array of scoring, you know, moves and whatnot from various places. Um, yeah. But, and just to add to that too, once is um, I did notice that those games that he did have the higher assists, his his shooting percentage happened to be down that game. So to me, that also shows some um, self reflection. And if I'm not on, then I I'm not forcing it. I I do need to move the ball around. Um, so to me, that that shows some good decision making as well in that sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's an important thing is you know knowing is you know the the term I often like to use with, with guys is kind of the ripple effect of your offense. Right, like it's you can do a lot of things, but how how do you make sure that like your 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 own ability is is influence the entire offense? And that's a, that's something that I think a guy like Joel Embiid improved at, at this year. Devin Booker's grown a lot, and that's something that Cam Thomas would have to, to you know improve because he's as we as we've mentioned and broken down. He he does a lot as, as on his own as a scorer, but taking that next step is key. Um, before we shift gears to Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I'm curious like what are maybe one or two skills that you identify as kind of not so much make or break, but could really decide like really kind of be the difference between him maybe floundering as a guy who's a score first player that maybe struggles with passing and defense um, versus a guy who can really be a, maybe either a low level starter is a very good scorer or that, or that sixth man spark plug that you've, you've kind of defined his ideal role for at least from the outset. What are maybe some of the skills you think could be the differentiating factor between, you know, kind of a, a high end versus a low end outcome for him? For Cam? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I still see as the the high end playmaker, um, mm-hmm. and if he can add that defense to it, I I think it would be hard for teams to have him off the court. Um, mm-hmm. I think if he can figure that out um, and be more consistent in the three point shooting, like we saw in in the in the March Madness tournament and mm-hmm. for the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. uh, he in I think three of the four games he shot from three over sixty percent. But I think if he just gets those those little pieces, you know, to me little, he has the scoring down. If he can figure out those little pieces, then um I think he could have that um CJ Lou Will type um impact on a good team. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I just I think just broadly the, the most important thing for the Sixers is, is adding playable score. I mean, they were just were right. so, so poor offensively in the second half of that. And some of that's tied to, you know, Joel Embiid dealing with a bit of meniscus and the, the torn meniscus, Ben Simmons, you know, struggling and Tobias Harris not making shots. But they just, I mean, it's, it seems such a simplistic thing, but they just, they just need more guys who can put the ball in the bucket. Uh, and Cam seems like a guy who could certainly do that. But um, shifting to a very different sort of kind of archetype or, or skill set, um, it's Jeremiah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Earl. You know, I haven't done a ton of draft work this year, but I did a lot for the 2019 and 2020 draft class. And he's a guy that I, I really liked, you know, coming into Villanova and liked him as a freshman. Um, but what can I give, give your synopsis of his skill set and what makes him an enticing prospect you know, for just in general, but also how he might, how he might work for the Sixers. Okay. So I saw a lot of people refer to him as J R E as well. Mm-hmm. So 
I think it might be easier <laughs> on this one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we can, we, can, we, can bring, we can bring the shorthand um, in. Yeah, but depending on, you know, where you look, his measurables, he looks to be 6'8", 6'9", 242 pounds with a 6'10 wingspan, uh, 20 years old, uh, really good rebounder, uh, hoping that he can convert to a stretch big, but just an overall glue guy. Uh, he averaged 15.7 and points and eight and a half rebounds on a good Villanova team. Um, and what are those teams most known for being for? Um, you know, they bring out great role players in the league. Uh, they come out ready to switch defensively, make high level reads, have a good feel of the game. Uh, he, to me, he basically has all the intangibles of just a quality role player. Um, Villanova, just because of the personnel they had, they ended up playing him at small ball center. So I think if um, Embiid was not on the court, um, you might be able to try and work that out. Uh, if you lose, if you happen to lose Ben, I think you need to add quality defensive players. And I think he's someone that you can plug and play um, on day one. He won't be flashy, but I think he'll get the job done. Uh, Villanova had a defensive rating of 101.3 and um, JRE's personal Defensive rating was actually two points less than um, <laughs> Villanova's defensive rating. And it's rare that you see guys actually have, um, you know, better defensive ratings than the player, than the teams that they're actually on. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, he's really uh, savvy on the ball um, and off ball defender. Uh, he's got, I think, a- enough quickness where he can um, guard inside as well as lateral quickness to guard mm-hmm. um, outside the paint. Uh, he's a really good cutter. Again, he has a good feel of the game. I do think he, he does need to work on his outside shot. He did um, his three-point shot dropped this year compared to his freshman year, um, but he stayed pretty consistent from the corner three. Uh, he's solid in the mid-range, but, yeah, I think he's just one of those um, – I mean, I don't want to say sleeper, but I think he's just one of those not flashy guys, but he, you put him in and he gets the job done. Yeah, for sure. And I think, as you mentioned, with Villanova's you know, defensive rating being lower with him on the floor than, than an average. I mean, he's, just, he's just a very good defensive player from what I've seen. Again, a lot of my stuff is coming from pre-Villanova and, and somewhat last and then bits and pieces this year um, when I was able to catch some games. But um, you mentioned kind of that small ball five you know, role for him. Do you think he could also play the four in some lineups? And and tied to that, you mentioned the, the shooting. Like, do you? Th- I guess it's a two part question. Um, do you think he could play the four? And also, how do you feel about his shooting development? Do you do you believe that he could get to a, a spot where he could be kind of a pick and pop threat and maybe a thirty five to thirty six percent shooter from three on maybe lowish volume? Because I think I think those things are kind of tied together to an extent. Like, if he can if he can play the if offensively, you would like him to be a floor spacer as a four. But what do you make of kind of those two? developments for him, you know, kind of the ability to play the four in the NBA, then also maybe be a stretch, a stretch big, uh, you know, from, from three. Yeah. I, I think he could be a small ball five and a switch heavy defense. Mm-hmm. Um, he see, I mean, that's what Villanova used him, you know, him on there, um, at mm-hmm. least this last year. And he very much exceeded um, in that role, but his biggest weakness there was, there were times when quicker players, right, would get burned. He'd he'd almost be too active, right, and then <laughs> and then get burned in it. Um, but I I think you have a point. I think on offense, he more projects as a combo four or a combo, you know, forward, um, mm-hmm. just based on his size. And if he can, you know, um, 
start hitting more from the outside, I think that would obviously be even better where you could even use the combo three. Um, but I do think at this point, people probably see him as the four or five. And that's where um, everyone always kind of gets worried where you have that tweener, right? Um, mm-hmm. And being someone who is known for not a lot of athleticism, um, mm-hmm. that's something to kind of be leery about. But to me, he had enough film on a good team to where no matter the position they put him in, he showed that he could work it out. I mean, there was a time when uh, their their point guard went down and he was having to be used as a point forward and mm-hmm. and was showing um, moves that, that people hadn't seen. He was slashing, cutting, dribbling. Um, so I think in that sense that it's, he did have a spare, very specific role again, similar to Cam, uh, with Villanova. So it's it's kind of hard to know where mm-hmm. um, someone like the Sixers would put him. But I think he could easily be used as a 4-5, whether they want to do it with um, Embiid on the court or having him play the 5 coming off the bench um, off of it. But offensively, he averaged um, over two assists a game and mm-hmm. had over three offensive rebounds a game. So to me, that's more like he does a lot of the little things, right, that get overlooked. Again, it's not flashy, but he's making he's making um, you know plays that continue, right, that continue um, mm-hmm. a flow of an offense, or you know that he can make a play to change the game, right? It might not be flashy again, but he'll get a steal, he'll get an assist, he'll get an offensive rebound that could end up changing um, the overall. Um, spin of a game at that particular time. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the thing that I was really impressed by with, with Jerry is, is a freshman, even this year, I, I, I'm, again, I have to preface when everyone listening that a lot of my background is or my understanding of Jerry is, is a, his freshman year tape. And then also um, what I saw before, like he played with team USA and FIBA and whatnot. But I was always really impressed by like, not just the passing reads, but he was really decisive and quick in those reads. Like I think, um, and, and so that's that's an important thing again tying back to the Cam Thomas stuff that just decisiveness as a complimentary player on the Sixers is very key because they need more of those guys. Um, but yeah, for me, I do I do buy him as a shooter at some point. Like he's I think he shot well from mid range both years. Yep. Um, yep. Like he shot forty percent on non two point or non non two twos that were not at the rim or dunks, um, and only about sixty percent of those were assisted. He just has nice mid range touch as well. So I I and he's comfortable shooting from three. He just hasn't. Turn that in. It's such a small sample. They went through two years, so I trust that if you like, if you get him in the right development system, that he'll he'll be a fine stretch big, and that'll give you some more options there. The Sixers can always use you know more shooting, more big man shooting, uh, of course, um, or front court shooting maybe the best way to, to phrase it there um, with Jerry. And I, I agree about the switching. Like I've always been impressed by kind of his footwork and the way he's, he's able to stay light on his feet and contain some guards. Now, of course, yeah, not he's gonna not gonna he's not gonna contain every single player. Right? He's not. He's not Ben at the five. He's not even Giannis in some cases. Um, but, he, but he, I think in a pinch, you can definitely rely on him as a, as a switch big there. Um, what I guess I'm also curious, like, I'm trying to think well, the last couple of things. I think we've done a pretty good in-depth, you know, synopsis of, of what JRE can bring on both ends. Um, how much, I guess, you mentioned the size there. Again, he's only about 6'9". He has pretty good length, I think, given his – I think he's maybe a seven. I want to look it up. I want to say seven one or seven two wingspan, but I guess not ten, huge. I think. I six think it's ten. Oh, ten wingspan. Yeah. Oh, jeez. I, yeah. I must be thinking. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm getting him in a. Next. I'm, I, yep. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting him mixed up with someone else. It might be I might be getting them mixed up a lot because Lash is the guy he was often kind of you know grouped with was Xavier Tillman. I think Xavier Tillman is a seven two wingspan. Okay. Uh, and that, but not but the, the issue for for Jerry also is that he isn't he's not really explosive off off the ground, right? He's not he right. can't really get high up for finishes. So what do you what do you kind of like? How much do you worry about that for, in terms of kind of his ability to maybe finish inside? as a small ball five, but also defend the interior as, as a rim protector and things like that, given his, you know, six, nine frame with a fairly limited wingspan as well. Yeah. I, I definitely think there's something there to worry about, but to me, um, I think we see guys last longer in the league that have a better feel for the game. And if you want to say the basketball IQ or, you know what I mean? Being able to read situations and defenses mm-hmm. and, and how to react to it. To me, we see those guys last longer or develop more roles in the league than we do of just pure athleticism. Um, so I think on his side, having that, I think he'll be able to figure it out. I, I'm not too worried about it. Um, I think he will surprise people. And I think, you know, working with, um, you know, professionals and where you've seen guys that can improve, right? Um quickness and and speed and things like that once they start working out with guys um so at least the fundamental to me he has it there so if he can even improve a little bit in any of those things i i think he's solid yeah i think it's you know it's also worth mentioning that anything like when we're talking about a guy getting drafted 28th overall if he becomes a rotation player that's a very a very good outcome for a guy drafted that that late um (laughs) and, and like if if you had if he had better if he was quicker off the ground and had a, a, a more, you know, ideal wingspan, he'd be, maybe we'd be talking about him as a maybe a fringe lottery guy, because or you know maybe a little lower, maybe maybe the top twenty, because he is such a smart player that makes a lot of, you know, you don't want to over. Like, I think you know the the like the idea behind like the winning plays can maybe be, but I think the the way that I like to phrase like is he makes those connecting plays, um, which are important yeah. for role players. So uh, I think it's always important to frame kind of how you view a player and his shortcomings through the lens of like yeah maybe he'd be more of a high end rotation player if he had didn't have such limited physical tools, but he could still be a good player at 28th overall, despite those things. Um, before we shift to maybe some of the targets at 50th overall, is there anything you want to mention about either Cam or Jerry that you think is, is important to understanding maybe them as prospects overall, but then even specifically about how they might, they might fit with the Sixers? No, I think you actually said it pretty well that in terms of if they're staying at, um, you know, in their twenties pick that it's, expectations go along with that um you know and we see that if if they even keep those picks right at this point <laughs> mm-hmm. that it's um anything can happen but yeah i think it's just being realistic in and what you're expecting um these guys to come in and do at this point yeah absolutely and I, I think i've maybe touched on this on, on previous rooms or podcasts but you look at a guy like tyrese maxi who's drafted 21st overall had it was a really impressive rookie made some key plays with the regular season and playoffs. And he was still kind of a fringe rotation player. Like you're just not right. going to get like, maybe like, like I think it's gonna be much more than that in a few years. But again, with the Sixers, it's about maximizing what they have currently. And so, uh, yeah, like maybe, maybe all, all these podcasts I'm doing are, are for not and the Sixers will trade these picks. And, um, but, but yeah, that's, it's really important to just frame things through. Like you look at him again, you look at just Maxi was a fringe rotation player. And I think he's, He's better than anyone they're gonna. The Sixers are gonna get this year at 20th overall, and certainly better than anyone at 50th. So it's just important to remember those things. Um, but yeah, let, let's shift gears to the 50th overall pick. Um, a couple guys we're gonna talk about today are Nemius Keita and Herb Jones. 
a um, couple of defensive minded guys from my understanding of both of them. Um, can you just, you know, again, kind of provide a synopsis of, of what they offer and why you think they might be potentially good targets for the stickers with, with the 50th pick? Yeah, so for Nemeth, he's 6'11", 248 with a 7'4 wingspan. <laughs> um, he's 22 years old, so he's a little older. But he's known for uh, being a rim protector, low post scorer, and rebounder. So he averaged a double-double last year, and he actually improved both his passing and shot blocking this year, which is nice. Um, but he averaged 14.9 points, 10 rebounds, almost three assists, 3.3 blocks and 1.1 steals. Um, so he's a guy where he's playing and he hits every single part of that stat sheet. Um, mm-hmm. One plus for him as a big guy is he actually had more assists than turnovers, which um, I think is pretty good for someone playing that close to the rim like he does. Um, a lot of times you'll see, you know, guys get the ball hitting away and things like that. Um, but to me, showing that he had more assists than turnovers was nice. Um, his three blocks per game uh, was the third most in um, college last year. Uh, he's not going to stretch the floor for you, but he's a great – Where if you need a guy from day one, to me, he's a great plug-and-play backup center. That's, that's what's going to be his role. Um, and Utah State was nine points per 100 possessions better defensively uh, with him on the floor, and he led the uh, Mountain West Conference and plus-minus for anyone that likes those kind of stats. Um, I see kind of a, a Jakob um, portal time kind of um, uh, with the Spurs. I kind of mm-hmm. see him has that kind of role where, you know, he's not stretching you out. He's there for block steals, rebounds, and dunks. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what he's getting you. Um, and then for Herb Jones... Uh, he's 6'6", 210 pounds with a 7-foot wingspan, and he is also 22 years old. Um, so like you mentioned, another defender, uh, really good both on and off ball, a slasher. He's a glue guy. Um, they, um, his team, or Alabama, um, often referred to him as the Swiss Army Knife um, of the team. And so when you watch that this kid's tape, like his hands are always up. Like this guy, he never has his hands down. So he's a really good team, uh, team defender as well as um, on, on ball. Uh, he led the SEC in plus minus. He, okay. So this is where I thought was interesting for him is because one knock for him is his shooting. So he said going into last year, he actually changed the mechanics of a three point shot and he went up to 35% uh, this last year. So if you're thinking that that can stick, um, to me, if he can keep that mechanic going, then um, to me that's showing um, improvement and that he's willing right, to, to make the adjustments that are necessary. Uh, and if he keeps up with that, I think he has a shot of being the 3 and D role player in the league. Um, his defensive is there again, like we mentioned. He just needs to focus on improving the outside shot. Uh, he's really good at finishing at the rim and in transition. So again, that's another piece where I think he fits well. Uh, with the Sixers. Um, he does have a more developed body than some of the freshmen. So um, at 210, I think that helps him too if you needed someone to plug and play. Um, he shows good awareness cutting off the ball, and he's really good at getting open for lobs off the PNR. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, mean, I, I love the point you made about kind of his active hands. I mean, he, both of these guys are players that are, you've know, been dubbed draft prospects dating back to last year, even before, especially in Cato's case. 
Um, say that three times fast. It'll be tough. Kate's case. <laughs> um, and Kate's uh, example. We'll, we'll, we'll say that. Anyhow, um, I'm, I'm losing the plot. But um, with Kate specifically, you mentioned kind of the Jakob Pertle uh, idea there. And I think one of the things that Pertle does really well is he's really light on his feet. Uh, and it can change directions quickly. From my understanding, Kata is not quite yeah. as mobile there. Hips, yeah. Um, <laughs> and just, yeah, just can be really, I mean, he's had a lot, I think he's had some knee injuries and, and whatnot um, over his couple of years, three years at Utah State. I, I may be wrong, but he just, he's, he's had some injuries at, at times that have limited mobility. So w- with the Sixers specifically, you know, one of their issues in the playoffs this past year was, was poor minutes at backup center behind Joel Embiid. Um, obviously they're always going to struggle without their best player on the floor. Um, but Dwight Howard really struggled in that backup five role. What what could Cato bring you? Like, do you, would it be would it be unreasonable to expect him to be someone who could play in the playoffs, be an eight to ten minute guy? And and if if so, or would it be reasonable? And if so, what exactly do you think he offers that you know allows him to be playable in that situation potentially? And if not, where does he have to take strides to maybe become a, a legit backup center in, in the playoffs and allow the Sixers to to be okay when Embiid sits? Not great because you're always going to be you're going to struggle, of course, but um, at least be salvageable in those non-Embiid minutes in the postseason. Yeah, um, no, I, I definitely do think he could be that guy. Um, he's an older prospect, and again, I think um, just his improvements every year, he's shown that that those skill sets are there, right? I don't see them going away. Um, again, he's a good rim protector. Um, he has to work on the mobility, Um but it's it's more so his hips that his he's he's really good in straight line quickness and bursts with there. Um, but I think it's it's the hips that they need to work on. On um, you know if he's being asked to um, to maybe hedge out or or drop on someone for like a PNR um, mm-hmm. where he'd have to get a little bit quicker on that. But again, I think it, it's small things that that can be done because with his length, if he's being asked to hedge, I I don't see him at that size being having a problem um, jumping, you know, and stopping guys right off the dribble there. Um, and if you needed him to drop back, I, again, with his length, um, he's really good about going straight up and using his high arms, avoiding fouls. Um, his pa- So going from defense to offense, he's really good at setting screens. Um, he uses his body to make nice open space. He's more of a dunker um, than than uh, like a pick and pop. Um, mm-hmm. He's been working on a hook shot, so that could even increase some things. Um, but one of the things that um, his coaches there actually um, praised him for was his his passing. Mm-hmm. Um, he averaged almost three assists a game. Um, he was really good at passing from the block uh, and not just you know passing out to the corner, but he was making a cross court passing. Um, things like that. He was really good about reading double teams and when to move the ball. They said he showed really good patience. He didn't panic. Um, he showed that he could dribble it out and wait for, you know, the opportunity to present itself or maybe for a play that they're running to finish itself out. Um, he never seemed to have that, that panic. So, I mean, for a guy, you know, if you're taking a guy at 50, um, to me, it, it's, if he's still available, it'd be a no brainer. Um, fit for them coming off the bench yeah i think you just that's the i am just really curious about whichever team does you know draft kid or sign kid or whenever he because I, I don't know i don't know exactly where, where his kind of his range is but regardless whoever lands Kata in one form or another uh, how they go about trying to improve mobility 
Um, because that is key because you mentioned like he is a, a very good rim protector and he, you he, he have some straight line speed, uh, and good length, as you mentioned, uh, but how they go about kind of, you know, trying to maybe diversify what he can do in pick and roll defenses there. Um, but w- with the passing, like what, you know, cause I don't think he's going to get a ton of like it, it, Utah state. Yes. He got a lot of post touches because he sure. was you know, the best player, but what do you make of his ability to be like as a roller and like, can he make some passes to the, to the wings on kind of the short roll there? What do you make of that? that form of passing, because that's where I think it'd be the most applicable in the Sixers sense um, of it. But I also, and I also just want to do mention that I love the point about screen setting, because I think the Sixers for, for everything Dwight Howard struggled with in the, in the playoffs and throughout the year at times, um, he was a very good screen setter. He was able to create a lot of good openings for guys, especially in those bench units. He had a lot of illegal screens, um, couldn't help himself. But that's something that I think is really important for the Sixers. It was a backup five they, who is a good screener because they have some limited creators. Um, but touching back to the passing, what do you make of his ability maybe on the on the roll there when he's kind of diving to the rim and whatnot to maybe hit open shooters if the defense collapses on him to, to take away the rim? Oh, I, I think that's a plus of his game, mm-hmm. 100%. Um, and if he's not making the pass, then he rarely, you know, misses at the rim. Like it's – he's either putting it in the, bu- in the bucket or – He's, he's making a smart pass. That's at least from everything that his coaches were saying that that's, that's what you're getting. The guy, the guy will finish it one way or the other, either by making the smart pass, um, across core rolling it, or he's going to, he's going to dunk it. He's going to put it in. Um, so I, I, I think that fits well with, with what you guys are looking for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's just the, always the thing is I think a lot of yeah. times with some of these, these skilled, you know, these skilled big men in, in college, a lot of times their their passing comes to the post. You get to the NBA, they're just not. It's just you have to have, hit a really high threshold to be worthy of post usage in the NBA. Um, obviously, Embiid reaches that, but a lot of these these guys, it's just not as useful. So I'm always wondering how they can you know thrive in maybe the pick and pop setting or the pick and roll setting with with their passing. So uh, that's that's just an important thing for me. It's it's interesting to hear that he can still thrive in that sense with his passing and the screen setting as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I had on Kata here um, before we maybe shift to Herb Jones. Looking at my notes quickly here. Um, I mentioned the screening, mentioned the movement skills. Um, I think, you know, is there any, you know, with him before we shift gears a little bit to Herb, are there any skills, like what what do you define again? Kind of just, I like this as an important thing for each prospect. What do you define as going to be the, the differentiating or kind of the swing skills, you know, that would, I guess, differentiate between him? between his low-end outcome versus high-end outcome, what are the things you're looking at that you think are, are kind of the, the crux of who he can be in the NBA? If he can keep those um, those block numbers or, you know, something similar, I know that those are high. Um, but but if he can get, you know, one to two blocks a game, a steal, and, you know, 10 rebounds, I don't think they'd be necessarily as worried about his scoring if he can continue to be that defensive presence assuming he'd, you know, he'd be coming off the bench. Um, that's to me, if, if he does those little things that he's already excelling at, um, I think it would be hard to, uh, to keep him off the floor at, at particular times of, of a game that, that you would need. Um, but yeah, to me, it's, I'm not really worried about his offense as much as, as keeping the, um, the rim protector and the rebound, um, numbers that he's known for. So yeah, and I think with any backup center for the Sixers, like it becomes an easier fit 
because part of the reason that they've struggled, I think, to an extent is that you need, like right now, basically you need a, a stretch five out there because if Joel, if Joel is not out there, ideally Ben Simmons is out there and obviously Ben is an interior base scorer. He doesn't shoot from outside. Um, but I think the fit of a backup center gets a little easier if they trade Ben for someone who can space the floor and whatnot. Um, and, you know, all reports kind of seem to suggest that, you know, Ben most likely will be moved. Uh, and so uh, I do think that like if Kata was someone they, they drafted at 50 or maybe they signed as an, as an undrafted free agent, um, his fit is a little easier if, if the second best player in the Sixers, the third best player in the Sixers, is a guy who can space the floor rather than you know, Ben, who is tremendous in an array of ways, but floor spacing is not yeah. one of them. Um, he reminds so me of a, a, who we have with the Kings, Rashawn Holmes, honestly, too. That that's that's what he's known for, right? He's good in the um, in the PNR with uh, mm-hmm. Fox and Halliburton. He he finishes right, and he has mm-hmm. his little floater shot. Um, but he's there for his length at the at the rim and, mm. and rebounding like that's mm. and, and low post score. Um, and you look at how, um, how much money Rashawn's supposedly going to get this free agency that if you can do that well in the league that, um, you know, you'll be sticking around. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so I think that's a pretty in-depth synopsis of what Kata could provide with the Sixers, just on any NBA team really, but let's shift to Herb Jones. Um, another defensive minded prospect as, as you mentioned, I think he won, the other one's SEC Player of the Year, SEC Defensive Player of the Year this past yep, season, if I recall. Um, and you mentioned, and the thing I want to touch on first, because you know, um, obviously the you know he took a step forward with his shooting, you know, low volume but still much better, thirty five percent. It was said to be coincided with some mechanical improvements, which is always encouraging. Um, but the Sixers already have two very good defensive players who don't really space the floor: Matisse Thybul and Ben Simmons. Obviously, to varying degrees, Matisse shoots threes more of the percentage and the willingness at times. Ben is just a guy who doesn't really shoot or doesn't shoot threes. Um, so how, what do you make of kind of a, a fourth, I think fourth year, I think Herb is, is in his fourth year. Um, what do you make, or just a late, a late kind of career leap like that? I'm kind of a small sample. Like what do you, do you buy that Herb could be a guy who could at least knock down spot up threes to open up maybe his ability to attack the rim off closeouts and, and kind of his passing and whatnot. So, because I think like to ask the Sixers to draft another, Defensive right. or taking another defensive on a guy who can't really who's questionable shooting protection is is tough. Again, Ben you know might not be on the roster, so that could maybe ease it. But what do you make of Herb's maybe kind of growth or continued development from deep? And kind of do you buy it? Do you buy it, or is it, do you think it's more of an aberration? He kind of he has still has other skills, but maybe the shooting won't won't be there consistently for him. Yeah, I would buy this pick more so that if if trades were made right and mm-hmm. they got and in the trade they happen to get rid of some of their defensive players right. If you were if you were trading Matisse, if you were trading Ben, like if for some reason you needed another defensive wing to come back in, um, wing slash forward. But that's the biggest question mark on him right now is, right, they said that it was a mechanics thing to improve the three-point shot. We saw one year of it, but you don't have a multi-year, right, sample size. So um, that that is the hardest thing to read right now for him is if, that's something that will continue to improve or if it was a, a one year wonder, right. (laughs) Of, Mm -hmm. of improvement, because for him, I do think that's going to be, if he's taken on a team like this, that is what's going to either have him play or not play. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. It's because like you mentioned, you guys have um, defenders. So, but no necessarily consistent outside shooting. So if he was to keep those numbers, and play the defense that he could play, 
then um, he could very well fill out one of those roles. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it's, you know, it, it's less like, I think the Sixers did like really well to improve their shooting a ton this past year. So it's less about, it's just like, if they're trying to draft rotation players, you know, it's, it's tough to have three guys plus maybe a center who doesn't really shoot uh, that, that, that are that really, you know, like the de- this defense is going to be good. Like I think even if they trade Ben, when you have Joel Embiid and you have other guys, you're going to be good, but it's about you know, making sure like all your guys can, you know, don't, don't allow the team to just pack the paint as much. And so I guess maybe that is a lack of shooting, but they do have some, some very good shooting around yeah. them right now. But, but I, but I, I tend to agree that. So, and that's, that's, it's just such a tough thing to know with this one year leap because it looks right. It sounds better for the player. If it's a, if it's a mechanical change, right? Like it makes them right. <laughs> and that's not, and that's not, that's not to say like, I'm, I'm just tough, just trusting of it, but you just never know. Right. You just, because it, you, he wants to show that like, Hey, I made some mechanical improvements. Then boom, better results follow because that would make teams more willing to draft him. And he should do that. Like, he should do everything in his power to, to get drafted as high as possible. So that's not a knock. You just, when you analyze it from a, from an evaluation perspective, it can make it a little tough to suss out, but um yeah, and when I think I, with a player like him, that's what's preventing him from being maybe someone mm-hmm. in the 30s to someone, you know, 50 or later. Um, mm-hmm. Because he seems to, right, his defensive is, his defense is there. He's really good in transition. Um, he's not bad. Uh, you know, field goal percentage isn't bad in the mid-range. It's just, can he be that, you know, three-level guy? If your team, yeah. if you mm. are a team that needs that three level, right? And and yeah. Sixers seem to be that. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and you know, shifting a little bit to maybe the other parts of his offense, I think he's, you know, when I because I think I've watched her for at least a couple of years. Again, I didn't watch him as much this year, but one of the things that I was always a little bit conflicted by was kind of I thought he had some really impressive passing talent, the ability to see some reads. But decision making wasn't always there for me. Um, what do you make it like? Do you think his decision making is good enough to the point where the passing could still be a really useful tool for him? You know, attacking closeouts or in transition. How do you how do you kind of assess that part of his game? Because obviously, you know, passing talent is one thing, but it's the ability to consistently make smart decisions with those passes that allows the passing to actually have positive impact on a regular basis. Yeah, well, and that's kind of been one of his. Um deficiencies his turnovers right he's mm-hmm. been a high turnover guy um and that allowed defensive that allowed defenses to sag off him right and that you were then limited to passing angles and um and things like that and he showed he didn't make the greatest decisions off of that um so yeah those are things that has to improve uh but again, I think that's part of where I don't think that part of his game will necessarily improve unless his third level shooting improves. Um, because if guys are just going to play off of him, um, I'm not totally convinced that he has enough to um, to offset that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think I think that's that's entirely reasonable, and I think it's. But that's just, I think that's a really important thing with any prospect is, you know, you have a lot of times in college, you have a, or wherever you play before that, you know, assume, trying to make it to the NBA, you have usually a longer leash for things and, and, you know, more because you're probably higher up on the talent, you know, hierarchy of, of things. And so teams are a little more willing to look past some of those, those struggles. But in the NBA, you're not going to, you know, Herb isn't going to be the, you know, the SEC defensive player of the year or whatever, defensive player of the year or whatnot. Um, right. Yeah. But, he's got to improve know. on his handles, right? So yeah. if, if he doesn't improve on the handles and, 
and he mm-hmm. doesn't um, improve that outside shot. I don't. Yeah, the re- the rest of the game filling out um, seems hard to to imagine at this point. Yeah, and so I think we've covered a lot of the offense and maybe how he could you know, all fit anywhere and with the Sixers as well. But defense has long been his calling card. He's always impressed me there in, in an array of ways. Um, what is it specifically about his defense? You mentioned the active hands, um, but what is it specifically kind of – is he – like is he both – do you think he's better on the ball, off the ball? How do you think he'd fit with the Sixers? Because obviously you know, there's a lot of infrastructure already there, um, whether it's Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Matisse Thibel. Danny Green was there last year, of course. Um, a lot of a lot of good infrastructure. How do you think he'd fit? And where's what's the kind of his optimal role? Like, is he more of an on-ball guy, or is he more of someone who who roams off the ball to make plays in that in that way? I think he's actually really good on both both sides of on-ball and off-ball. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's very switchable with his size. Um, he has you know his seven foot wingspan really helps. Um, he also shows that he's quick enough to um, lock down you know quicker guards. And he can slide. He's got really good feet work, footwork on the defensive side. Um, and with that quickness, he showed that he could bother um, the quicker guards as well as maybe some of the stronger, uh, longer guard forwards uh, in the in the league. Um, he was really good in rim protection. Uh, he's good about going straight up and um, getting guys to alter their shots without fouling them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. There was even mention of him possibly doing like in small lineups where he has the size that you can put him at a small ball center. I don't really believe that. Um, I think he would still need some, some work to his body for that. Um, but again, it's just his IQ on the defensive side is, is really there. He's really good at finding the angles, working around screens, um, defending pick and rolls. Uh, he's good at, you know, reading the player and figuring out what they're going to do necessarily before they do. Um, so just on the defensive side, he's, he's there. Um, and again, it's just the offensive side that I think is, um, it's hurting his draft <laughs> stock, at least at this point. Yeah. And so if I'm, if I'm kind of interpreting your assessment of his defense correctly, would it be fair to say that he can kind of just, you know, like, because the Sixers have such good infrastructure defensive already, he can kind of just fill whatever role they need in a given lineup for the most part. Like, is that, is that a fair way yeah, I, to phrase it? Yeah, I see it like a Mikhail Bridges, right? Like mm-hmm. Phoenix is using him where minus the offense, but you can put him defensively where they can put him on anybody, right? That he's that good on defense where um, I think he can play around anybody on that Sixers team in that sense. Um, it's just where would he fit on the offensive side. But yeah, yeah defensively, for, he fits right in. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that, that makes sense for sure. Um, and like Herbert's just, a, I mean, he's just a guy that like I, you know, he's been, you know, he played four years. And I do want to mention I was trying to waffle between defensive player of the year or player of the year. He won both this past year for the SEC. Don't want to shortchange Herb there. So if he is listening, to this, I apologize for shortchanging you initially, Herb, <laughs> or for any Alabama fans. Uh, but anyhow, uh, yeah, I think he's just a, he's just a really interesting, a really interesting prospect as you mentioned. The defense is there. That I love the point you made about understanding angles. Uh, you know, you mentioned. Here he averaged over a steal and a block per game this past year. Um, so clearly, you know, there's the playmaking there to an extent, um, which I think ties back into the angles and the active hands. But um, anything you want to mention about her before we kind of you know wrap up this this episode today? I really appreciate you coming on, providing much of insight. But anything you want to mention about Herb? And I guess the last thing I before I uh, before we kind of conclude is what do you kind of again view as kind of the the skills he needs that are kind of hanging the balance for him to, to determine whether he's a high end. Rotation player, maybe a low end guy who you know, 
goes late in the, the second round and kind of flounders for a couple of years and, and has to find a you know an optimal role elsewhere. If if his defensive if his defense holds up, it's really the only thing holding him back is is um, that mid range and three point shot. Just getting a better feel for the offensive side. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he goes to a team where he's playing with an elite shooter. Right. Like, let's say they they drafted Cam and you had Cam and Herb coming off the bench. Like, I think he excels in that because he's not going to be asked, you know, necessarily to have that part of his game. But he's going to be there um, for defense and would be helping Cam Thomas in that sense um, on defense. So I think for him, it's it's fit, you know, the right team. Um, And I do think for him uh, landing on a team with around elite shooters would make him last a lot longer um, in the league, in my opinion. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, obviously fit is important for every prospect, but especially with a guy like, like Herb, who's a little bit funky. It's, you know, it's important to especially acknowledge kind of the, the things he needs to, you know, cover for his flaws or his most pressing flaws and whatnot. But um, Julian, really appreciate you taking some time out of, out of your day. I hope for everyone listening, this was insightful. Um, we'll give you, you know, good breakdown of four more guys who might be available to the Sixers at both of their picks. Um, the floor is yours to kind of give give yourself a little plug. Where can people follow you? Where can they find your work? Um, give yourself a shout out here. Once again, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your time with us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. So um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Jill Adge, J-I-L-L-A-D-G-E. And right now, mostly we're just, um, I'm covering draft and... Um, you know, this off season. And so I'm with a uh, hoop ball. So we're at hoop ball Kings. And then I'm also part of the, uh, be heard group. So, um, you can find all of those on Twitter and you can follow me there. Awesome. Uh, make sure to do that. Everyone listening, whether you're listening in the room currently or listening to the podcast episode after the fact, um, absolutely do that. Uh, I'll be back on Saturday with another guest to break down four more prospects. Uh, we are trudging forward. We're literally, uh, I'll be back. Oh my gosh, Thursday. It's only Tuesday. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'll be back to Thursday. Another episode. I'll also be here on Saturday. Uh, per usual, I am doing three podcasts a week. Uh, guess I, I get my days all mixed up. My goodness. Uh, I am, I am bungling the end of this podcast. I apologize for everyone. But anyhow, I'll be back Thursday with another guest to break down four more prospects. Um, but in the meantime, uh, enjoy these NBA finals as long as they go. Uh, and stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. I'll talk to all of you again soon.